Feel and smell the difference of a luxurious lather for you and your horse with Cowboy Magic's Rosewater Shampoo and Conditioner. These products are pH balanced and contain rosewater, an herbal extract blend of aloe, honey, silk, protein, and panthenol that work together to break down dirt, sweat, and grime. The fast-working rosewater shampoo formula has a double action that allows gentle, full-strength use without damage. The rosewater conditioner strips away debris, excess moisture, mineral or chemical buildup from water, providing a deep conditioning and shine to the coat and skin, leaving your horse looking and smelling beautiful. To purchase, visit your local feed store or cowboymagic.com. Welcome to Barn Banter by Horse Illustrated, a podcast with something for all horse lovers. I'm Raquel Lynn from Los Angeles. You might know me from my blogs, Horses and Heels, or Stable Style. And I'm Susan Friedland from Saddle Seeks Horse. Raquel and I grew up reading Horse Illustrated magazine and riding as much as possible. Today, we both write for the magazine and are friends in real life. Join us each month as we do one of our favorite things, talk about horses and the horse lifestyle. Today, we have two very inspiring guests talking with us about the benefits of equine therapy. First, we chat with Lauren Reicher, an incredible equestrian born with cerebral palsy who has overcome every obstacle thrown at her. Then we are joined by Victoria Notif Netanel, the founder of Mini Therapy Horses. And finally, we learn about this month's adorable adoptable miniature horse, Charlie Brown. Raquel, do you just feel like the summer is flying by? It's so crazy. Yes, this summer, I can't believe we're in August already. I don't, I don't know what's happening and I really would like it to slow down. Well, I noticed a super cute picture of you. I think it was on Instagram the other day. <laughs> you were sporting your baby bump in the wild, yes. your baby bump in the wild. How are you feeling? I feel really good, um, actually. Yeah, the bump is definitely growing. Um, You're still riding? Still riding. Um, it's been really hot though. So I've been doing a lot more turnout and that's just because both of us, probably more me, I'm like, I'm not <laughs> settling up, but yeah, um, we well, are just over the heat. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of heat, I noticed an article you did about candles and I know you have some exciting new products coming out um, with your stable style line. So maybe give us the uh, the scoop. Yeah, of course. So yeah, the August um, issue of Horse Illustrated magazine features a really fun candle roundup. Um, as we know, candles are my love language and a lot of people's, you know, it's just so nice for fall. You know, I know it's very hot right now, but soon you'll be wanting to burn, you know, those fall scents and stuff like that. Um, and actually a couple of my new products that just arrived are new, uh, matchboxes and those are really fun um i've always had this thing about collecting matchboxes and they're oversized and these new matchboxes they're actually uh 
the Fira matches because I took um, a photo of her and I commissioned it into some artwork. And so it has Fira's head on the uh, on the box and it's really, really cute. So anyone who wants to, um, you know, light up their candle with a match, the Fira matches are perfect. You are so creative and what could be better than having <laughs> matches based on your horse? That's really neat. I love it. Yeah. So fun. So yeah. Tell me about you though. You've just been traveling and traveling all summer. Yeah. I have the sunburn and mosquito bite welts <laughs> to prove it. No. So backing up a little bit, I was able to go to Briarfest to launch my latest book, Marguerite, Misty and Me. And it was so much fun because I had never been to Briarfest and I felt like I sort of knew what to expect because the last couple of episodes we've had people on to share uh, the goodness of all things Briar and real horses at Kentucky Horse Park. But Raquel, seriously, put it on your bucket list. And uh, maybe once baby grows up a little bit, you need to go because it's such a great time of family fun. And I met so many fellow horse lovers. And one of the most meaningful moments I had was I had my my childhood Misty of Chincoteague Briar model horse there as I was signing books at the uh, Taberton uh, book vendor booth and a woman I'm guessing in her mid twenties saw the model came over to me and said, I used to hate reading. And then my fourth grade teacher gave me Misty of Chincoteague. And mm -hmm. I read that and I read all the other Marguerite Henry books and I'm a reader today. So what was really cool about that moment, I took a picture with her was that, um, I, the following weekend, I drove out to Chincoteague Island, Virginia, to be part of Pony Penning Week, which, you know, was made famous in Misty of Chincoteague. And I had a chance to speak at the local library there. And I retold the story to the people who were attending my talk. And I got really choked up as I was saying this. And then I looked out into the audience and there were a couple people there who had like kind of tears in the corner of their eyes. So, um, and I, you know, I told my uh, Misty story, my Misty and Marguerite story. And then I asked people in the audience to share what their um, Marguerite and Misty story was. And it was really cool. And um, so I stayed in Miss Molly's Inn, which is this darling Victorian home where Marguerite Henry stayed in 1946 when she went to the island to watch the pony swim. And uh, this is where she started writing Misty of Chincoteague and the museum that just bought the BB Ranch. I got to talk there and just meet so many awesome Chincoteague locals and then people like you and me who grew up reading Margaret Henry books who were there vacationing to take in the um the event but that is why I'm sunburnt because on <laughs> <laughs> the Friday of Pony Penny Week I, I don't know if a lot of people know about this but um it's really cool to watch the ponies swim back so they go from Chincoteague where they are held at the, the carnival grounds for the full auction and then they swim back to their island refuge home, Assateague Island. So I was stationed in a tandem kayak with my friend Margo and she is a go-getter. And 
it didn't occur to me like when I'm at home, I am all about sun protection. I wear the long sleeve shirts to the barn with the UPF. And for some reason that all went out the window and I was you know, wearing shorts, which I never do as a horse girl. And so we were in the kayaks for a long time, watching the ponies swim back. And then once they got to Assateague, they recongregated into their wild bands. And so we were following along in a kayak on the coast as the ponies were kind of just, you know, frolicking and grazing. And it was pretty amazing. But um, yeah, so I'm feeling the the results, but it was so awesome. There's a lot of excitement for my book, Marguerite, Misty and Me. And it's just been such a great journey so far. That's awesome. Well, yeah, we have a great lineup of guests today, so we should probably get started. Yep, let's do it. Lauren Reicher is a 24-year-old woman born with cerebral palsy who started therapeutic riding at age three by the recommendation of her surgeon after reconstructive hip surgery. After graduating from therapeutic riding, she took to riding recreationally and competitively with Hunter Jumper Barnes on Long Island. In 2021, she graduated from Brown University, where she co-captained their NCAA equestrian team and earned her bachelor's degree in education and public policy. Following graduation, she worked as director of development at Special Olympics New York, where she raised money to help create the Summer Show Series, a program which gives the equestrian athletes of Special Olympics New York the opportunity to compete alongside the larger hunter-jumper community at A-Shows. Lauren now works in public relations at the American Thoracic Society, but continues to spearhead the Special Olympics New York Equestrian Program. She turned professional in September of 2022 to continue growing the program and cultivate the next class of riders with disabilities. Lauren, I'm so happy to have you on our podcast today. You know, I have on my desk here a Horse Illustrated magazine from earlier this year, the April issue, and I see you in there and the title of it for our listeners who may want to get to know you on a deeper level after um, hearing our conversation. It's called The Brave Ones. So uh, before we get started hearing about your equestrian journey, I want to hear about horses i want to hear um do you have a horse currently or who has is the special horse in your life either now or from days of yore gotcha um well thank you guys so much for having me on it's really exciting and special to get to come on this podcast um so yes i have a couple of horses right now um that i'm so thrilled to tell you guys about and i'll tell you about one or two um from the days of yore that are really really special to me um so my I have three horses right now. Um, so I have Benignity. His name is, you know, we call him Blue. Um, he is a 16 to uh, Dutch warm blood gelding that I've had since 2018. Um, I, I won't go into too much of it, but basically he was gifted to me by a friend. Um, uh, she was kind of changing her riding path and um, wanted him to be with somebody who was going to be a forever home type of situation. Um, I had known the gelding since he was imported as a young horse. Um, and I'd always, you know, had an attachment to him, even though he wasn't mine. And when the time came that she was looking for a new situation from him, um, she had gifted him to me, which was so special. So he is 
my, you know, he's my horse of a lifetime. Um, he had done the confirmation hunters and some of the smaller performance hunters. Um, and now he is my USHJA outreach two foot packer horse. <laughs> um, so absolutely love him. He's very, very special. Um, he's one of those warm bloods that um, it's never the first time he sees something that he might spook. It's always like the 10th or 11th time he's gone past it that he decides that that's the time it's scary. Um, but he's just, you know, he completely understands that I have a disability. I don't, I don't know how he figured it out. Um, not that it's that hard to figure out, but he totally knows. And he treats me, um, you know, with acknowledgement that I have some challenges, which I think is so unique and rare to find in a horse. Um, so I have him. I have another horse. Um, his name is Renaissance. We call him Rennie. Um, he belonged to um, Becca Weisbard. Um, she, you may recall from 2016, um, she very tragically passed away in the Grand Prix at Hits um, as a young teen. Um, and so this was her junior hunter um, and her parents had kept him for all this time. Um, and so he was donated to our Special Olympics equestrian program. And so he's kind of under my care and my um, kind of like a foster parent for him, even though he's like mine slash Special Olympics. Um, but he is 17 hands. He's 20 years old now um, and he's rehabbing from an ICL injury. Um, and so he's going to be limited for you know the rest of his riding career. But, you know, he's a perfect mount for Special Olympics. So um, I have the two of them together. And then I also have an off the track thoroughbred named Joker. His race name was Post a Joke um, that I've had since 2017. Um, I got him as a, a barely four-year-old. He was a little green bean, a, a little wiggly thing. Um, super, super sweet and talented. Um, and he's being used in a lesson program at North Fork Equestrian, um, which is uh you know, the head trainer of that program is Alexandra Marichik, who I grew up riding with. So nice spread and, um, you know, interesting set of horses we've got under under our barn. Lots of personalities. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, you, you, you had me at off track thoroughbred. I, I have one of those. Uh, so, Lauren, there's so many things I want to discuss with you. And you kind of touched on them in that little brief um, overview of your special horses. But you are kind of, um, I, I don't know how to say this, like just a, a woman who had some physical challenges to overcome from early childhood and uh, you found your way on the back of a horse. So I would love to hear kind of your equestrian journey and then also how you got involved with Special Olympics. Sure. Um, so I was born with cerebral palsy um, and, you know, when I was a kid, my legs didn't separate at all. Um, you know, not to use too scientific of a term, but I basically had like a mermaid tail. Um, so my legs didn't separate at all. My brain didn't acknowledge my legs as being two separate extremities. So um, it was recommended by my rehab specialist when I was, you know, two and a half, maybe three years old that I do therapeutic horseback riding. Um, and, you know, she felt that the motion of sitting on top of a horse with my legs apart would eventually become muscle memory. And slowly my brain would start to learn, um, you know, that I have two separate legs. Um, so that was how I got into it. Um, and I had done therapeutic riding for a while. Um, and eventually, you know, the instructor who I was riding with in therapeutic riding came to my dad and said, you know, I have a farm in Goshen, New York. And if you were willing to take her to my farm for lessons, I feel that I could make her like an able-bodied rider. Um, and so 
we to this is my mom is going to find out about this right now she hasn't known it's been it's been 20 years and she's about to find out from this podcast but I cut school every Friday. My dad picked me up from school and drove me to Goshen, New York to go take riding lessons. Um, I think it turned out okay on the education side. I don't think I missed too much, Um, but we skipped school every Friday. We went riding and eventually, you know, we got to a point where I was capable of posting at the trot by myself. Um, We, I started riding on Long Island shortly afterwards um, since probably about 2000 and Eight, I want to say um, I was riding on Long Island at a hunter jumper barn. That was kind of my introduction to the hunter jumper world. Um, and so I had been riding there and slowly, you know, finding out that as I was working with trainers in a program that saw, you know, the potential for where my abilities could go, I started adding more and more of what I could do. So I eventually learned to canter, eventually learned to go over some small cross rails, um, putting cross rails to a line, a line into a full course, and um, it all kind of built from there. So I had been, you know, ever since probably 2008 or nine, I've been riding with the Hunter Jumper Barn, um, you know, really focusing on the hunters um, and occasionally the equitation as well. Um, so I started kind of showing locally, um, showing in a special series for riders with disabilities on Long Island. Um, and, you know, eventually it got to a point where I was progressing out of the levels that that program offered um, and wanted to be more competitive and wanted to see if I would have any success competing as an able-bodied rider. Um, you know, and and I was, I was very lucky that I was able to go and do that. Um, moving forward down the line a little more, I went to Brown University for college and they had an NCAA equestrian team, an IHSA program. So I rode for the IHSA team in college. Um, and eventually went on to be its co-captain my senior year. Um, And, you know, that was one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had in my life to experience equestrian sports for the first time in a very formal kind of team setting. Um, And, you know, kind of my running joke with a lot of my friends who played football at Brown or, or did other sports at Brown was that I never thought as the young child that, you know, with a disability that one day somebody would call me a division one athlete. Um, so it's kind of just like a running joke between me and my friends, but it was super, super meaningful uh, for me. Um, so then after college, my first kind of big girl job was that I was director of development for Special Olympics New York. Um, that was the role. And I was really focusing on fundraising, um, event planning, you know, kind of gala events, smaller cultivation events, um, and, you know, in in getting to know the Special Olympics New York organization, I discovered that they offered equestrian as one of the sports. Um, and so I, you know, instantly, you know, from the day I started, knew that I wanted to start an equestrian program or be an equestrian coach for the Special Olympics. Um, and so that was kind of how the Special Olympics summer horse show series program that um, I helped to create got started. Um, And so as I was kind of leading that program and going to A-rated shows with a whole group of Special Olympics athletes as their coach and as their trainer, um, I felt that it was in the best, my best interest and the best interest of the program to turn professional with the USEF. Um, So I decided to do that last September um, and, you know, and committed to continuing to kind of cultivate the next class of riders with disabilities up to a competitive level. Um, and you know, that's kind of where my dedication is. I'm not, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a full barn of clients and I'm not going to shows all the time, but I'm really focusing on, um, you know, like I said, cultivating the next class of riders with disabilities. 
That's really exciting. Okay. So I have two other questions that came up while you were talking. And the first is going back to that moment when you were really little and trying to get your legs to kind of, uh, or your brain to acknowledge that you had two separate legs. Do you remember that first ride or were you too small to remember that? I remember. I definitely do. Cause you know, what was interesting was when we got to the barn, um, you know, my dad, so the, the program had a physical therapist on site. And so, you know, they kind of stretch you out a little bit before you get on and just kind of physically prepare your body, especially first timers for what is about to happen. And I remember my dad saying to the physical therapist, she's never spread her legs before. I don't know how you are expecting to put her on top of a horse. And he said, you know, I think you should take the saddle off and we'll hold her on top of the horse on her knees. Um, and they were like, well, why don't you just, why don't we, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Because when they, when they picked me up to put me on the horse, which was by the way, a Clydesdale of all horses. Um, when they picked me up to go on the horse with, with a saddle on my legs just went like that. Like it just happened. Um, so I think they, they, I mean, obviously, you know, they see stuff like this happen all the time. I can't tell you how many times since that happened to me, I've seen it happen for other families. Um, so, you know, it, it was, a you know, that is probably the greatest physical milestone I've had to date is a single moment where I separated my legs on my own for the first time and sat vertic you know, sat vertically on top of a horse and moved and rocked with the horse for a 30 minute walking lesson. Um, you know, it's a, it people who are judgmental of people who ride and think that the horse was all the work and you just kind of sit there, you know, it's easy to think that until you actually have to do it. Um, and you experience the full body engagement from, from your head turning in every corner down to, you know, pushing your heels on in the stirrups. And so I definitely remember it because um, I remember thinking this is, this is some feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine they had a difficult time getting you off. <laughs> I, like, I really would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, and then my other question is, um, so I, when I was in college many, many moons ago, I competed also with the IHSA and I just want to clarify. So when you were competing with the Brown team, mm -hmm. you were riding random horses at these mm -hmm. competitions, right? So I don't know how they did it, but back in my day, it was literally like names on scraps of paper in a hat yep. pull out. Yep, so exactly. Was that, I, I'm, how did you do that? Did you say, okay, heads up, I'm going to need a quiet horse or was it the horse no, um, adapted to you? And we just, I mean, we got lucky that, you know, coincidentally in our zone, we just had a great selection of horses at every level. Um, it was never, at least to my knowledge, brought to the attention of the steward. Um, and, you know, the thing is, until I, I didn't have my own horse until I was 18. So I only rode lesson horses, catch rides, friend of a friend, you know, whatever I could possibly sit on. So I, up until I had my own horse, I never got consistent really with that many horses. Um, you know, I was used to kind of just being thrown on whatever was available. Um, and so, you know, having just grown up through the kind of lesson program pipeline, I was, I was very, very accustomed to kind of just making adaptations on the fly. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think, you know, a lot of people and I just, I talk about kind of the luck of the draw. And I think, um, you know, I just got lucky that we had a good, I mean, I, I wrote in, I think I wrote in 
limit, I think. I'm not sure because I know that they change a lot of the words, but I think I wrote in limit and there were just a great selection of limit horses in the region that, you know, whenever we went to an IJSA show, I was never concerned. That's really cool. What is it that you would like more people to know about Special Olympics and specifically equestrian involvement in Special Olympics? And it sounds like you have a really thriving thing going on um, in New York. I'm in Illinois and um, earlier this year, I volunteered for Special Olympics track meet in Wisconsin. And I got to talking to a young woman there and she uh, was taking riding lessons, but she was really bummed because she said that uh, the state of Wisconsin didn't have equestrian in their Special Olympics, but Illinois did. And I don't know if they were close enough living to the boundary that she could you know, take advantage. But mm-hmm. um, for people who haven't volunteered or, you know, just go to regular horse shows and that and are kind of, I hate to use the word ignorant, but just unaware of what's right. going on, what is it you want people to know? Sure. Um, I think I'd like to just explain how our program works and what differentiates it from like para equestrian. Um, So para equestrian refers to riders with physical disabilities, whether they are inherited or environmental. Um, And the Special Olympics is an organization that serves athletes with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And obviously, of course, like in both definitions, there can be a lot of crossover. Um, And so, you know, but Special Olympics is specifically devoted to intellectual and developmental disabilities. So what what I experienced growing up and going to hunter jumper shows, either locally or on the A circuit, was that, you know, it, it occurred to me, there are so many therapeutic riding programs out there. There are so many riders with disabilities. Why isn't there a designated class or a designated division at every major horse show for riders with disabilities? Um, And so that was kind of the inspiration. And what we were able to do at Special Olympics is this is how kind of it works. So the Special Olympics mission is to provide completely cost free training and competition opportunities for athletes with intellectual um, and developmental disabilities in the state of New York. Um, And so what we did was I approached the either executive directors or horse show managers of some of the major horse shows in New York and asked them what they would think about letting us run an exhibition division that's not rated, but occurs at a rated horse show where we could fill the entire class with Special Olympics New York equestrians. Um, who are enrolled in our program, who are training with us. And so we provide all the specs. We provide, you know, exactly what the class rules are. Um, and we, when we come to a horse show, we bring a profile of all the riders in the class to the steward so that she can, she or he can share it with the judge. Um, you know, this way we, we don't interrupt, you know, the appropriate kind of flow of communication. Um, and the judge can understand each rider's unique abilities um, so that they can all be judged according to what they can do rather than what they can't do. Um, And so we, Special Olympics, you know, is committed to not only removing, you know, the barriers that people with disabilities experience of not always being included in mainstream sports, as well as the extreme financial barriers associated Mm -hmm. with equestrian sports. So when we go to a horse show, Special Olympics is underwriting all of the costs, that's shipping, stabling, entries, outfits for the riders, um, you know, 
health certificates, warm-up classes, ring tickets, braiding, you know, the, the works. So it's obviously really expensive to go to a show. And a lot of our Special Olympics New York athletes would never have access to equestrian sports without the principle of them underwriting costs. So that's what we're doing. Um, the program started last year and we went to Saratoga, hit Saugerties and the Hampton Classic. Um, we just had our horse show at Saratoga this week. Um, we're going to hits. And so we're just working on growing this program, trying to maximize the number of riders we can bring to a single show and the diversity of levels that we offer, you know, whether that be from lead line through two foot or, you know, what have you. Um, and so that's what is unique about this program is that special because Special Olympics kind of serves as the parent organization, we're able to, um, you know, add additional levels to meet the growing abilities of our athletes and their talents. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We're, you know, we're kind of right now geographically limiting ourselves to New York because this is part of the Special Olympics New York organization. But eventually I would love to see there be, you know, like a zone final or something like that where Special Olympics New Jersey, Special Olympics Massachusetts, you know, or whoever could get involved and kind of, you know, the goal is still to make an arrangement in which, you know, all the major horse shows in the country could have a designated division for people with disabilities. I love it. Um, so Lauren, kind of uh, winding down a little bit here, how would you say that the equestrian community, you know, we have people who listen to this podcast from all <laughs> corners of uh, the U.S. and maybe world, but um, how can we support you or how can we support riders with different abilities? Mm-hmm. Um Fundraising always helps. Um, I don't mean to solicit the audience. That's not my intention of coming on here, but you know, we are always fundraising. So if you would like to be a sponsor of, of any of our shows, any of our classes, sponsor an athlete, um, you know, that's always more than welcome. Um, one thing I would say, you know, that always stands out for me that um, you know, has this is probably the factor that has made the biggest difference in my riding career um, is people who are generously willing to share their horses. Um, if you have an older guy who needs a step down job and you're concerned about him being leased and leased and leased and leased and, and you don't want the end of his life to be like that, um, consider donating your horse to Special Olympics or to a therapeutic riding program in the area. It makes such a huge difference to have a highly responsive, you know, a well-trained former show horse um, or something along those lines, you know, it, it makes such a huge difference. Um, you know, just to circle it back to the first question, like I would never been have been able to have a horse like my own horse blue, um, you know, if, if not for their generosity. Um, and it made such a difference in my career and my riding and my riding abilities. Um, so at any point, if anybody's willing to share a horse, um, whether that be like a half lease or even a donation, you know, donations are tax deductible. Um, so it makes such a big difference. Same with equipment. You know, if you're not riding in your saddle anymore, you have an old saddle, old bridles, you know, whatever. Um, donation of horses, of materials, of equipment is always such a huge help. Um, and then, you know, at show, the, the thing that I would say, a great way to support us if you see us at shows is to come to the ring and watch our class. Um, you know, the athletes really, really appreciate their being kind of like fans in the stands. Um, and so if you're able to stick around a little, you know, the extra 15, 20 minutes to watch the class go, it, you know, it really makes a difference for their experience of being at a horse show and getting support from the mainstream uh, equestrian community. Wow. I'm so glad we've had a chance to get to yeah. know you and um, you can just, I feel the passion that you have and I'm excited to see where all of this goes. Lauren, where can people go to connect with you, learn more about you, learn more about equestrians riding in special Olympics and your program in New York? 
Sure. Um, I'm on every social media platform. Um, I'm at Lauren Reicher on everything. Um, and then Special Olympics is also on, I think, basically everything at Special Olympics NY, all one word. Um, and there's a website as well, specialolympicsny.org. Um, it has all the information. Um, but yeah, anybody who might want to connect, you know, don't be shy, message me, email me, you know, however you want to do it. I'm not shy. Inbox open at all times. Feel free to reach out anytime. And Lauren, if you could, we'll have this in our show notes, but um, how do you, how do you spell your last name? I think we know how to it's, spell it. Um, <laughs> it's R-E-I-S-C-H-E-R. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so guys. much, Lauren. It's great oh my gosh, chatting. thank you so much for having me. Bye. 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 Victoria Nodif Netanel has always known the magic of horses. In 2008, after many years of competing in dressage, Victoria shifted gears when she purchased Quicksilver's Black Pearl. Victoria initially wanted Pearl as a pet, but with her many years of horsemanship and Pearl's enthusiasm for learning, they formed an amazing bond and partnership. Victoria realized that her love with horses and passion for helping others, she wanted to become a therapy team with Pearl. In 2008, Victoria established mini therapy horses. Hi, Victoria. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me and a chance to talk about mini therapy horses. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know, tell us um, what you do with mini therapy horses and what encouraged you to start the organization. Okay. Well, first of all, I was a dressage rider. And have I've loved horses all my life. I'm a total animal person, mostly dogs and horses. And I thought when I retired from dressage, or I felt like it was time, you know. And um, I got one mini horse because I used to go up to Alamo Pintado if there was any kind of horse issues. And next to it was a beautiful miniature horse ranch. I used to bribe my daughter to go up there to. Uh, keep me company to go to Alamo and we visit the horses, the minis, but really it was all about me visiting the minis. So I right. got my first mini and someone did warn me and say, they're like potato chips. You can't <laughs> have one. And so I ended up somehow since 2008, I now have 10 miniature horses. And when I had one, I started working and just because I'm a little obsessive compulsive, I just started training her with all my dressage background. I just thought, let's see if it does this and can I teach it to this? And anyways, they're so trainable and wonderful. And I thought maybe this is a way to give back to community. I'd never really connected with something, but because I love horses so much, every size, I thought this little horse would bring a lot of love and connection to people. And so I contacted, my first thought was to contact the veterans, work with the veterans. I knew nothing about this. So it, this whole program has been one baby step at a time, which I also encourage others if you have a passion, if that light bulb goes off and, and you make a, a passionate connection, 
just don't be intimidated. Just move forward and things happen when you take one step at a time. So I contacted the VA hospital. They didn't know what to make of me. This was 15 years ago. And um, I've been there pretty much 15 years since, and I go every week. The veterans are still a big part of my program. Um, I even work in the lockdown psychiatric ward with the horses, and um, it's just been fantastic. So I really learned the ropes in the VA hospital, and now I'm kind of a free-range chicken in there with the horses, and everybody Mm. thinks the horses live there, and I'm just (laughs) a worker, and uh, they don't recognize me without the horses. The doctors do, but patients usually don't. So that's pretty much how I started. And now we go so many places. We go pretty much seven days a week. And we have two big vans to transport them with. And um, we work with, we go to Shriners Hospital for Children in Pasadena every two weeks. We are with UCLA Ronald Reagan Medical Center visiting patients and UCLA Santa Monica Hospital. I go to the UCLA Rape Treatment Center where for children that are abused, rape, different difficult situations and bring comfort to the kids there between their therapy appointments. Um, We go to Ronald McDonald houses. I'm a volunteer with the Sheriff's Department. Tonight, we even have National Night Out with the Sheriff's Department. And I have two uh, deputy and and another uh, reserve in the Sheriff's Department that uh, we're all going together. We'll bring three horses tonight for uh, community. We do a lot of community outreach with the Sheriff's Department. We're also members of the Mayor's Crisis Response Team. So we do follow-ups to critical events, mostly homicide, suicide, infant deaths, all kinds of uh, very difficult situations. And we visit with survivors and um, it's really an amazing program with the city of Los Angeles. Um, So we really like to focus on therapy crisis situations. And I feel like that's what we're best at. The horses are very trained and they're all potty trained. So we work indoors a huge amount of the time. They don't wear any kind of bag or anything. They're just amazing. We go, go potty. We give them their their routine breaks. And, and if they have to, they go then. Otherwise, they don't relieve themselves. So um, I've been talking a lot. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. And that's one of the things I, I do want to ask you about, um, because I've met your amazing herd. And they, for listeners who don't know, they're all mares, correct? They're all mares. Um, yeah. So you they're have all girls, my yeah. mini girls. They're amazing. Um, But yeah, let's talk about the trainability because, you know, just the fact that, you know, they're going into sometimes these situations or events that are very busy, very loud, you know, or they're Mm -hmm. riding in elevators or, you know, just going upstairs and 
They also do tricks and stuff like that, which I know that helps them connect with people and patients, you know, and brings, you know, a smile to people's faces. But how long um, would you say that you train them or, you know, what's that like um, just getting them ready to go to these events? Um, the horse, I try and pick foals that are not too independent with the mamas and not too insecure. So they're like friendly and confident as foals as I try and pick and very small as mm -hmm. just because we're always indoors. And as you said, lots of times, like at the VA hospital, I might be in a room with equipment and three, three uh, beds and all kinds of stuff. So they have to go in between curtains and all kinds of tight situations. So I start training as soon as I get them, which is right after their wean. And what I have purchased all of them as foals, and I try and have the breeder, of course, do imprinting the minute they're born is feeling them all over so that they're accustomed to being touched and every hole being handled and, you know, tapping on the feet and all, everything like that. So, and if they're a place I can visit them, I visit them. Um, so, and then they come to me between four, most of them four and a half months because I do have a program where the breeders know me and they trust that I will know what I'm doing, handling them at that early age, if they're ready to be weaned. Otherwise it's up to six months. So um, the training starts right away, but it's like loving them up handling them all over and getting them used to sounds and walking them everywhere. And really anything they might be afraid of, we walk them to. So we might see a jackhammer, go towards a jackhammer. If they move forward with us, we give them a treat. We follow trash trucks. We never avoid things that scare them. We are always building their confidence, always from day one. Um, we'll put rocks in a can. We'll we'll crack the whip over them, and they get to know that's nothing. So um, that's desensitizing is a huge part of the program. Starting potty training early, which has a, everything to do with being consistent. All the training with the way you're asking them to do something, same words, same physical gestures rewards if they're not understanding something it's usually my problem or someone else's a human's problem not the horses so we have to rethink well maybe they'll understand it another way what we're asking just like a child i mean every mini horse every horse every animal learns at a different rate some of them at nine months have picked up all the tricks so much of the training they're potty trained. It's amazing. Other ones, I have one that's got a little bigger that's very slow to develop mentally, and she's three years old. And I'm still going slow with her because that's what she could handle. So it's really about the individual. 
um, mm-hmm. the training, but we're always reinforcing the training. I have a horse 15 Pearl now, and we're just always, it's always the same. We're always, you don't um, take anything for granted. You're always doing the same program and working with them the same. So anybody that becomes a volunteer handler, even if they've had big horses, whatever horses, you have to start from scratch here because these little girls have been trained a certain way and they have to learn this way, my way to do things. And then it works with with these horses. Yeah, that's amazing. say the same for my dogs. (laughs) (laughs) They're totally out of control. Well, tell me what has been, I mean, you go to so many places and you've met so many people, but what has been one of just the most rewarding experiences about doing this in general? Well, even last week at Shriners, I have to say, I I really love going to Shriners because we get to go up in the surgery unit and visit with kids when they're coming out of anesthesia and they're going into anesthesia and the family's there and they're really stressed. So you bring the horse in in their little room behind the curtain and it's like, it's just like magic. And this one little girl was petting um, Penelope von Schweetz and she, in, it's a situation she could have been very fearful and crying. And she said, this is the best day of my life because mm-hmm. I get to see her. And it's thing, I get goosebumps. It's just, it makes all the hard work of having this charity. And it is a lot of work. Um, it makes it all worthwhile because it it's it means so much to the families and it has the ripple effect because when they see their child smiling and reaching out and petting the horse when maybe they were crying a few minutes ago and so they were all having anxiety and then the parents are happy then the siblings waiting are happy. I mean, it really does affect everyone and gives them that sense of normalcy and lowers their anxiety level and they take pictures. So it's like a lasting positive memory during a difficult, very difficult uh, life situation. We We also work with kids that are, amputees a lot at this Shriners. They actually make the prosthetics there. And just to let you know something very special, in two weeks, we go every two weeks, they're the the um, fellow that makes the prosthetics is going to use some of the discard, like the old prosthetic material, because at the top where it connects to the child's limb, there's like a colorful plastic part maybe with butterflies or whatever and then um then the metal rod is attached to that so they're going to be taking a piece of that and adding velcro and measuring it to my horse's cannon bone so as they go through the hospital the horse will also be wearing a little prosthetic Hmm. wow so it makes the kids feel like well you know they're not the only ones here's right 
So it's really, it's really cool. I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. There's so many, there's so many, we've done last wish, wish um, requests with veterans. That's been unbelievable. Where the, where the um, vet is surrounded by family members and nurses. And I brought the horse in and some um, this one man was going in and out of consciousness and he talked about when he grew up on a farm he was fostered by a family that had horses and he um was talking about how to take care of the horse and then he'd fade away and then he'd come back and tell me what to do and how much he loved the horse and it was just unbelievable for everyone that was there yeah and he, passed, he passed two days later it was actually in the newspaper this story so i could talk about it oh wow yeah i mean you've done such amazing work and continue to do such amazing work and for our listeners who want to find out um, more about mini therapy horses um, how to connect with you online where can they do that uh, thank you so much for saying that. Um, please go to our website, minitherapyhorses.com. Horses with an S, minitherapyhorses.com. We're on Instagram, Mini Therapy Horses, and Facebook. And we post a lot of our visits, what we're able to post of patients and events. And um, if anybody is interested in volunteering, Go to the contact section in um, on the website and there's an application. Or if anybody wants to donate, you can donate. We're a 501c3 nonprofit charity and any size donation, $5, anything helps care for our uh, horse angels. So anything's appreciated. Thank you yeah. so much. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today and, and sharing. And like I said, we'll put those links in the show notes. And um, wonderful. yeah, we just love those adorable minis. They are adorable and they love their work. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thanks for letting me share. Bye. Bye. Regardless of where you live, higher temperatures may lead to summer itches, skin sensitivities, or irritations for your livestock and pets. Mane and Tail Protect Antimicrobial Medicated Shampoo and Wound Spray offers your animals the solutions needed when facing wounds and skin problems. Made with a deep penetrating dual action pH balance formula, these products allow quick, easy cleaning and disinfecting of minor cuts, scrapes, and sores to help keep your horse's skin looking and feeling healthier. Mane and Tail's Protect Shampoo and Wound Spray kills a wide range of microorganisms, including yeast, bacteria, mold, fungi, rain rot, hot spots, skin rashes, and our true veterinarian strength antimicrobial products, leading to faster results. To purchase, visit your local feed store, tractor supply, or purchase online at maneandtailequine.com. Banter with us. We want to hear from you. Share your topic ideas with us. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Saddle Seeks Horse and Raquel at Horses and Heels with the little underscore.
Don't be shy. Show us some barn banter love by leaving a review. And you can tell all your friends too. Horse Illustrated can be found at horseillustrated.com. For special discounts on Horse Illustrated and Young Rider, just for podcast listeners, visit horseillustrated.com slash barn banter. The ASPCA's Right Horse Program brings us this month's adoptable horse, Charlie Brown, a must-see miniature. Today, we are chatting with Tom Persichino from the ASPCA Equine Transition and Adoption Center in Oklahoma. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you, guys. What a pleasure it is to be here to talk about uh, our 500th horse being impacted by the work that we're doing. Yeah, that's impressive. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, this month's adoptable horse, Charlie Brown. Yeah. So and if it's okay, I'll back up just a little bit um, and just tell you about how we got to where we arrived at with Charlie Brown. Um, but uh, in July of 2019, so almost four years ago to the day, um, ASPCA established its second um, so equine support center in the state of Oklahoma. Um, we had just come off of a successful um, temporary center in the North Texas area where we helped about 60 horses. And to test what we learned, um, we wanted to kind of anchor down in another community. So Oklahoma City was chosen. And like I said, we launched our work in uh, at the end of July of 2019. Um, and we offer services for owners who either need to surrender a horse, so if they can no longer keep a horse um, and they need help with that, um, we offer services for them. If they can keep a horse, but they need some sort of assistance with maybe some practical medical care, um, we offer that. We send the horse back home with the owner, um, and that horse lives a happy, healthy life in the home. Um, so it doesn't become, uh, you know, it doesn't take up resources that other horses that do need to be surrendered um, might need. And then um, for horses that are in really rough shape, um, for whatever reason, we offer euthanasia and disposal services as well. Um, so we kicked that off in 2019. And it seems like, gosh, in the blink of an eye, we are already to our 500th horse helped um, here in the state of Oklahoma, which sort of really underscores the need for these types of services um, out in the community. Uh, and we're just proud that we're able to, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're able to help get these horses to a good spot and we're able to help these owners um, in, in a time of need. And, you know, it is a difficult time for them when they're faced with these decisions um, with these horses. So, um, that's, that's kind of how we got here. And then, uh, specifically about this cutie that we've got Charlie Brown. Um, he ended up being the 500th horse, uh, that came through the support center. Um, he was surrendered by his owner who could no longer keep him. Their life circumstances changed. Um, and they needed a safe place for him to go. And he really was um, a family pet. I mean, he's just, he's a little pocket dude, um, but he's a 10-year-old miniature gelding, uh, just as sweet as he can possibly be. And um, he is up for adoption, ready to enrich somebody else's life. He's, 
getting his vaccinations updated today. As a matter of fact, he's out in the barn with our veterinarian. Um, getting, he's going to have a little uh, dental exam done today as well. But um, other than that, we expect a good, clean bill of health, and he is ready to find his next right home. Yeah, he is so cute. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes so that our uh, listeners can see him. But for anyone who is looking for a mini, which actually it's a great coincidence that you're on today because our other guest, um, she actually runs a mini therapy program. And so she we've just been talking about minis all day today. Um, so this is just on topic. <laughs> he is really cute. Now, who do you think would be a good home for him? You know, I love the fact that you're featuring mini. Um, they are some of the most amazing horses out there. They be therapy horses. They can be um, in-hand Liberty horses. They can be trained to cart drive. They make the cutest cart driving horses. Um, you know, and they're they're really a suitable horse. Um, they, they've got a great disposition, most of them, um, and make a suitable horse for really any person of any age. They're wonderful for families that are just, you know, maybe they, they have a young person in the house who's just becoming involved with horses um, and they kind of want to ease into uh, uh, ownership realm and maybe they don't have an immediate need to jump on the back of a horse and go trot on down the trail with one. Um, Minis make outstanding horses for that. Um, He has got just this real, uh, I think we put it in his bio, he's kind of got this real proud prance he almost looks like a little male runway model when he comes down the shed row in the barn he just high steps and uh he uh he knows he's something special yeah absolutely well thank you so much for coming on today and chatting with us um really hope that charlie brown finds his special home and i think it's amazing you know the work that you guys are doing and the fact that he is the 500th horse coming through that's pretty special um so we hope that uh, someone finds, um, you know, their special horse with Charlie Brown. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our show. See you next month.